0: Chapter 12 of Sir Titus Salt, Baronet His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Sir Titus Salt, Baronet His Life and Its Lessons by Robert Balgarney. Chapter twelve quote, From lowest place when virtuous things proceed, the place is dignified by the doer's deed. When great additions swell, and virtue none, it is a DROPSIED honor. The purest treasure mortal times afford is spotless reputation, that away men are but gilded loam or painted clay End quote from William Shakespeare the first part of this chapter will be devoted to a description of two scenes in which mr salt appears first as the entertainer of his workpeople and second as a recipient in a tangible form of their gratitude and love it would have augured ill for the inhabitants of saltaire had they beheld the marvelous sympathy of their noble master for their temporal and spiritual welfare without reciprocating it in some way it is said, love cannot be all on one side, and the same aphorism may be applied to kindness and goodwill, which also require reciprocity for their healthy growth. In the case of an employer of labor like Mr. Salt, his moral nature would not have suffered loss had his kindness met with no response on the part of his workpeople. The consciousness of having done his duty would have brought its own reward but the consequence to the morals of the people themselves would have been disastrous. To them the master would have been merely as a benevolent individual, and they but the objects of his compassion, and the recipients of his bounty. But when genuine sympathy on one side has evoked the same quality on the other, the reciprocal of capital and labor rests on a substantial basis. At Salterre, we have a splendid example of the hearty sympathy subsisting between master and workpeople. The latter resolved to present Mr. Salt with a colossal bust of himself, and on the 20th September, 1856, the ceremony took place. It will be remembered that this was his birthday, and also the day on which Salter was opened in 1853 only three years had elapsed since the sumptuous banquet had been held on that occasion at which the workpeople sat among other invited guests but instead of resting under the shadow of that bygone act mr salt was ready to repeat it and invite them again to another festivity the ceremony of presenting the testimony was therefore united with the birthday festival in which this mutual sympathy between master and workman was beautifully exemplified for as already indicated in the first part of the proceeding mr salt appeared as the generous host in the second part he was the honoured guest work was suspended at Saltaire on that memorable day for the festival was to be held at Cronest, the residence of mr salt and a general invitation was given to all the hands in the establishment to visit him at his home. The number who accepted it was three thousand, and they were conveyed thither at his expense by railway. As they passed in procession through the streets of Bradford on their way, they presented to the inhabitants immistakable evidence of being what Mr. Salt, three years before, hoped they would be, well-paid, contented, and happy operatives. The procession consisted of spinners, Combing-shed-hands, warehousemen, and hand-loom-weavers, the women and girls led the way, four abreast, preceded by the salt-hair drum and fife band. Many flags and union-jacks were carried in the procession, while two banners of blue silk, bearing the arms of Mr. Salt, with the motto, Quid non Deo juvante" beneath, were conspicuous above all. An eye-witness of the procession wrote, In that moving mass of humanity honest and industrious men and women we beheld a sight which could not fail to awaken the best emotions of the human heart and to inspire the philanthropist with joy and gladness on arriving at the entrance to crow-nest grounds they passed down a pathway lined on either side by overhanging trees on approaching the house they beheld a herd of llamas alpacas and angora goats collected from the greensward on the right which excited much interest on part of the workpeople though many of them had daily been handling the fibre derived from such animals most of them had never before beheld a living specimen the mansion lies embosomed in a beautiful dell and on the front doorstep stood mr salt surrounded by his family to bid them welcome the procession continued its course through the conservatories and greenhouses issuing thence into the gardens and ultimately emerging into the park in which were preparations on every side for the enjoyment of the people and now the sports of the day began which consisted of various innocent amusements such as running leaping climbing dancing no intoxicating liquor was needed to exhilarate them nor was any provided the fresh air and scenery around were sufficient while the noonday sun poured down its rays and filled every heart with joy and then came the feast itself how can pen describe it on an elevated part of the park a monster marquis was erected the superficial area of which was three thousand yards, capable of accommodating comfortably five thousand persons. There were thirty-two tables, equal to eight hundred and seventy yards in length, and covered from end to end with white garland calico. The seating was double that length, or nearly a mile. The interior of this immense dining hall was decorated with flowers and evergreens, while outside flags and banners were hung in profusion. To show the extent of provision made for this extraordinary feast, the following is the bill of fare, namely beef one thousand three hundred and eighty pounds, ham one thousand three hundred pounds, tongues and pies five hundred and twenty pounds, plum bread one thousand eighty pounds, currant bread six hundred pounds, butter two hundred pounds, tea fifty pounds, sugar seven hundred pounds, cream forty-two gallons and a great quantity of celery the weight of the earthenware used was four tons and a quarter of the glass three-quarters of a ton and of the knives forks and spoons one hundred and a quarter before grace was sung mr and mrs salt passed round the tables amid the enthusiastic applause of their guests it was a scene that must have filled the heart of the generous host with gladness that he could thus help to make his fellow-creatures happy that he could be the means of sending new life into every fibre of their physical being and offering them a draught of the purest pleasure that would bring no regrets on the morrow except that the scene itself had vanished away but the second part of the proceedings was yet to come the former was only the background to bring out in relief the picture itself. Now the scene is shifted from Crow Nest to St. George's Hall, Bradford, where the presentation of the bust took place in the evening. The stalls were filled with the personal friends of Mr. Salt, who appeared in full dress, while the area and galleries were crowded with work-people. The chairman on this occasion stated that the idea— of presenting mr salt with some token of esteem originated three years since but circumstances had prevented the accomplishment of the purpose at first the opinion prevailed that mrs salt should also be presented with some expression of their appreciation of her kindness but believing that in honoring her husband she herself would feel honored they had resolved to unite their contributions in the purchase of a work of art which should remain an heirloom for the family forever, the sculptor selected was Mr. T. Milne, who also executed the lions that adorn Saltaire. The bust is of the purest Carrara marble standing on a shaft or pedestal of a Sicilian marble at the base of the shaft. Various symbolized figures represent the sources of Mr. Salt's wealth the shaft on which the base rests is supported by an alpaca and angora goat the animals which supply the new material for manufacture at their feet lies a fleece in wrapping a cornucopia from which is pouring forth a profusion of rich and luscious fruit and falling as it were on the works and the dwellings of saltaire which are brought out in relief on the base of the pedestal the artist has made one foot of the alpaca to rest on a wreath of olives thus indicating peace and one foot of the goat upon the fleece from which is springing out abundance for employer and employed thus indicating plenty the pool is six feet six inches in height from the base of the pedestal to the crown of the head and weighs within a fraction of two tons the address presented on the occasion was the following sir we the workpeople in your employment in presenting to you the marble bust of which we now ask your acceptance would briefly refer to the motives that have induced us to take this step one which may be considered almost unprecedented in the history of manufacturers your workpeople have for some time back felt a strong desire to present to you in a tangible form some token of their affection and regard not only as a tribute to the genius and enterprise which have called forth the admiration of all well-wishers of their country but to the high and noble spirit of philanthropy which you have always manifested and which has been actively at work not only in securing the happiness and prosperity of your work-people, but in the undeviating support which you have rendered to those public institutions which are calculated to promote the present and lasting benefit of the public at large. And when we consider that this day is the anniversary of the inauguration of the works at Saltair, we are reminded of the results of that genius and enterprise as manifested in the gigantic Establishment you have raised. Not only has its adaptation for manufacturing purposes been considered, but you have been equally careful to secure the health and comfort of your workpeople. Well does it deserve the appellation of the Palace of Industry, and, sir, your attention has not been entirely absorbed in providing for the physical wants of your workpeople, but a higher and nobler purpose has had a share of your attention viz the cultivation of the mind and though saltaire has been so recently built we have had a library and reading-room in operation more than twelve months the library containing more than twelve hundred volumes of well-selected works which are enjoyed and appreciated by a great number of workpeople sir if we look back at the seasons of commercial depression which have from time to time visited the west Riding, entailing heavy losses upon the manufacturers and distress among a great portion of the working population we are not unmindful that you sir have nearly counteracted the effect of such seasons of distress upon your own workpeople by keeping them fully employed for however long the storm may have lasted a diminution in the hours of work and a consequent loss to the operatives in wages have never yet taken place in your establishment we think sir these are circumstances characteristic of your efforts which you may look back upon with pride and satisfaction and which we remember with feelings of gratitude and the benevolent spirit which has been manifested to those who have been unfortunate and the efforts that have been made to render at all times your workpeople happy and contented have given rise to feelings of affection and love which will be lasting as our lives and have laid upon us a debt of gratitude which cannot be repaid but sir we beg that you will accept the testimonial we offer not for its pecuniary worth or artistic merit but as a tribute of our love. In conclusion, we would say that it is our sincere desire that you may live long to look with pleasure and satisfaction upon the testimonial we offer, that your future course, and that of your sons, may be characterized by the same prosperity which has hitherto marked your career, and that when age compels you to retire active life, it may be a source of happiness to you, to recollect that you have lived in the affections of your work people september twentieth eighteen fifty six the above address was handed to mr salt by mr s wilson in the name and on behalf of the work people who said presenting the bust it is out of my power to lift the ponderous weight were it sovereigns i would gladly count the enormous weight and place it in the hands of one i believe it will ultimately be said well done thou good and faithful servant thou hast been faithful over a few things i will make thee ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of thy lord mr salt's acceptance of the testimony was made in the following words my friends in accepting this beautiful work of art at your hands as a tribute of your affection and esteem I assure you it is most gratifying to my feelings and I consider this as the proudest day of my life. Three years ago, when I had the pleasure of meeting you at the opening of the works of Saltaire, I then stated my motives and objects in erecting them. So far, I have reason to hope that my wishes will be fulfilled and that I shall be there surrounded by an industrious, a happy, and a moral people, and so long as I am supported by you as heretofore with God's blessing, I have no doubt of success. I am sure, therefore, that you will take it in good part if I remind you that you must be co-workers with me, for it is only as you, each one of you, young and old, great and small, do your part that I can succeed in promoting the object I have in view. This is my most earnest wish for saltaire i thank you for the kind reference you have made to my sons in your address i can only say in regard to this that they know my highest ambition for them is that they should conscientiously employ the property and position which they may inherit from me in carrying on whatever undertaking i have the honor of commencing for the benefit of the working classes and that this beautiful bust and pedestal will be to them a constant incentive. Ladies and gentlemen who occupy the stalls, let me thank you for the cordial sympathy which you have manifested. What has just taken place, I am sure, must convince you that the task of improving the condition of the working classes, however difficult and laborious it may be, is not thankless or unprofitable. In acknowledging the resolution of thanks for the hospitalities at crow nest mr salt said i beg to assure you that the pleasure you have felt this day has been reciprocal myself and my family have been greatly delighted to see you i assure you i cannot but plead guilty to a little pride i did feel proud of my workmen to-day when assembled in the park i am very glad the weather has been so favorable and that everything has gone off so well but I will not detain you by any remarks. I feel no doubt, but the talented artists who are to occupy the remainder of the evening will add to the proceedings of today. The end which crowns the whole. I cannot sit down, however, without bearing in mind that there are some among you who have worked hard in making the arrangements for this day, and to them I take the opportunity of offering my most heartfelt thanks a workman in seconding a vote of thanks to the chairman said in his own provincial dialect i've wrought for sixteen year for mr Hall, and i can say that i am well pleased and well satisfied wi him and i am well pleased with our chairman and i second motion with all my heart and sit myself down a soirée musicale filled up the day's programme which afforded a rich feast to the lovers of music between the parts coffee and other refreshments were served in the saloon the bust presented on this occasion was considered a striking representation in marble of mr salt's features at the age of fifty-three but the later productions of the artist are those by which his personal appearance will be known by posterity to these and other works of art of which he was the subject, reference will afterwards be made. The bust in question for many years has occupied a position in the entrance hall at Crow-Nest, and by directions and the will of the deceased baronet it will be removed to the club and institute at Saltaire, where it will permanently remain in the midst of people he loved so well. We thus obtain an insight into this sympathetic relationship, that then subsisted between Mr. Salt and his workmen, and which continued until the end of his life. Nor was this, happily, an isolated case of the kind in Yorkshire. The working people, for instance, at Haley Hill, Halifax, were animated by similar sentiments toward their employers. That this spirit of goodwill was reciprocal is abundantly verified by many noble institutions, for the moral and religious improvement of their workmen erected by Messrs. Aykroyd. Surely such instances of mutual respect, between master and workpeople, may be taken as a proof that fair, honest, and honorable treatment will always ensure loyal hearts as well as industrious hands. From the opening of the works, Mr. Salt had devoted his time and energy to the organization of the various departments in connection with them. In this complex duty he was heartily seconded by his sons and the other members of the firm. But, as might be supposed, Mr. Salt continued his grasp of the helm, and his judgment and will were still the ruling power in the business. After the lapse of a few years, however, he felt he might somewhat relax his energies and leave to others many details that had hitherto been managed by himself. But this was not that he might take a rest from Doyle. No, his active mind seemed never at rest. At least it was like the rest of the spinning top when sleeping, as boys call it, that is, the rest of imperceptible motion. Still, with his marvellous constitution and energy, work did not tell upon his frame, as it often does upon others, so that the time an effort now withdrawn from Saltaire, were devoted to the public. The removal of his manufacturing business to Saltaire did not in any way affect his relation to the town of Bradford in its municipal, political, and commercial affairs. He continued to take a prominent part in the beginning of 1859. Mr. Salt had the honor to move the resolution of welcome to Mr. John Bright, in the presence of one of the largest audiences ever assembled in st george hall for this eminent man mr salt had long cherished the highest admiration and esteem once upon paying a passing visit to Cronest, we found him unusually depressed in spirits on inquiring the cause we ascertained that in the morning papers a premature announcement of the death of mr bright had been given
1: when we assured him
0: that a contradiction of it appeared in later editions the shadow of his countenance disappeared and with a warm grasp of our hand he said thank you for bringing the good news at the reform conference held on the day following the above meeting when representatives from many parts of yorkshire met mr salt was elected to preside these facts may be regarded as indicative of the high place he occupied in the esteem of the community and of his attachment to the reform movement he was a reformer of the noblest type not hostile to the customs or laws because of their antiquity in this he was rather conservative but all legislative enactments not based on sound moral principles of right and justice and which appealed not to common sense for their maintenance had in him a strenuous opponent As for mere expediency, either in politics or religion, his soul abhorred it. This accounts for his consistency throughout his life. There was no trimming of sails to catch the popular breeze, no deviation from the straight course which duty prescribed or conscience approved, even if he had to stand alone. And the reason is obvious, he thought for himself, Calmly he felt his way, amid conflicting opinions, until he found the rock of principle, and on this his foot was planted. At a great meeting held about this time in Bradford to condemn the reform bill, brought in by Mr. Disraeli, now Lord Baconsfield, Mr. Salt gave utterance to sentiments which he firmly held to the close of his life. On that occasion he said he hoped the reformers of England would never rest satisfied, with any reform bill proposed by any party which did not admit the working classes to their due share of the franchise. He considered it quite a misnomer to call the bill, then before the country, a reform bill. He hoped the middle and working class would unite as one man, and insist upon a real, true, and efficient reform bill such political sentiments expressed with that manliness so conspicuous to him made a deep impression on the minds of the liberal party of bradford and marked him out in their opinion as one of their future representatives the opportunity for acting on such an opinion was not far off lord derby's government being defeated on the second reading of the reform bill a dissolution of parliament took place in the spring of eighteen fifty nine The candidates for Bradford were Mr. Wickham, who presented himself for re-election, Mr. Harris and Mr. Salt. The first was already known in his political capacity. The second was a churchman of moderate conservative opinions and a local banker. The third was a liberal-minded nonconformist and at the head of the largest worsted manufactory in the world. All three candidates were locally known for their deeds of act of benevolence and were regarded by all classes with the greatest respect the question of politics was therefore the only one that was at stake on this occasion let us then see mr salt in the novel position as a candidate for the borough but this position was not one which he himself sought It was pressed upon him at a large meeting of electors and non-electors held in St. George's Hall, at which a hearty resolution was passed in acknowledgment of the services of their late member, Major General Thompson. The following speech was delivered by Mr. Salt. Mr. Chairman and gentlemen, in the first place, you will allow me to express my heartfelt and sincere appreciation of the resolution you have passed i think that the resolution in acknowledgment of the services of major-general thompson is most proper and fitting on the present occasion if we remember his great exertions for the repeal of the corn laws which can never be forgotten by his country we cannot do him too much honor passing to the object of the meeting we have been called upon gentlemen by the present government to give our verdict upon the question of parliamentary reform and lord derby has brought in a bill which he calls a reform bill but it is for you to decide whether or no it is such in my opinion it is not it is an evasion and therefore the country is now called upon to speak out upon the question for the representation of the borough we have three candidates there is myself called into the field by yourselves. We have Mr. Wickham, who has long been your representative, and who has worked well for the borough. I have never had cause to find fault with him, nor have I ever found anyone else find fault with him. Then we have another candidate, whose address is just brought up on the platform, Alfred Harris Esquire. "'A more respectable gentleman there is not in this borough, and as a magistrate and a citizen we all wish to honour him. "'But if he represents the feelings of the majority of the electors of this borough, I am very much mistaken. "'I repeat that the present government of Lord Derby has called upon us to decide the question whether you want reform or not.' The bill which they have proposed I consider quite a sham, and an evasion of the question, and it will rest with you to say whether you concur in that view or not. I have been called upon by the Reform Registration Society to come forward as a candidate for this town. I assure you it is not from any ambition on my part that I have acceded to this request, but if you do elect me to represent you... I shall consider it a very great honor and all my exertions shall be directed to the cause of reform i have been ardently devoted to this all my life it is forty years since i came to this borough i came as a boy i have been educated in commercial affairs in this borough and you all know my political principles i have always advocated the principles of reform for the last thirty years I have never flinched from them, and they are the principles which I now profess. I advocated the Reform Bill in 1832, and I also supported the successful efforts to repeal the Corn Laws, and for the extension of education amongst the working classes. Since that time, I am quite satisfied we ought to make still further progress in the extension of the franchise. Lord John Russell has advocated a measure by which it is proposed to give the franchise to ten-pound occupiers in counties and to six-pound occupiers in boroughs. And, of course, I shall advocate this, and if the opportunity occurs, I shall go further. But I think the best way is to take as much as we can get. I shall also support the vote by ballot. I think it is quite essential to give independence to voters, And whether they are shopkeepers or the working classes, I would have them all independent by giving them the ballot. And as a commercial man, you may be sure I shall advocate all possible economy in the expenditure of the public money. I am sorry to say that the public money has been greatly wasted. I am also a great advocate for peace. But still, I would have us to be prepared for any emergency we must keep the command of the seas, but that may be done at a great deal less expense than has been incurred. I will say, in conclusion, that I shall be glad to answer any questions which any electors present may think proper to submit to me. If I am sent by you as the representative of this borough, I assure you it will be regarded by me as one of the greatest honors you can confirm and i hope that my opinions on all great questions and upon all occasions will be in unison with the majority of the electors of this borough the resolution in support of mr salt as candidate was moved by mr robert milligan one of the retiring members for the borough who said they all knew mr salt he had been nearly all his life amongst them he might say that in his opinion Bradford was more indebted to that gentleman than to any other than residing in the borough. He had established and conducted a manufacturing and mercantile business not surpassed in any other town in England. Mr. Salt had been the means of introducing into the borough an entirely new business, by which he had employed thousands of hands for many years, and by that means he had increased the trade of Bradford and enriched a great many of the inhabitants he had not only done this but he had enabled the working classes to earn a livelihood which had not the business been introduced they might have had to seek elsewhere during the course of the meeting several questions were put to mr salt and answered in a straightforward way but a remark having been made that though he had been instrumental in effecting the incorporation of the borough he had subsequently removed his establishment to Saltaire in order to avoid the heavy taxation entailed as the result of that incorporation this remark was answered by mr h f lockwood the architect of Saltaire, and as his speech threw some additional light on mr salt's character and worth THE FOLLOWING EXTRACT FROM IT WILL BE PERUSED WITH PLEASURE. HE SAID HE WOULD ANSWER THE REMARK THAT HAD BEEN MADE, BECAUSE HE knew MR. SALT WAS TOO MODEST TO DO SO. THERE WAS NO ONE OF WHOSE ACTS HE COULD SPEAK MORE WORTHILY THAN HE COULD OF HIS. BESIDES, THE QUESTION RAISED, WHICH WAS HIGHLY IMPORTANT, SHOULD BE SET AT REST. THERE HAD BEEN SOME TRADESMEN THROWING IT IN THEIR TEETH THAT MR. SALT took his works down to Saltaire, and deserted Bradford. Mr. Salt worked at a disadvantage in Bradford. He had, as they knew, five or six mills in different parts of the town, difficult of access, and still more difficult of surveillance. He felt the necessity of concentrating those works, but when he determined in his own mind to do so, he resolved that while he increased his power of production, those who assisted him should share all the benefits and blessings which it was in his power to obtain by such concentration and instead of it being a disgrace to mr salt in taking such a course he thought that every man present ought at once to rise and say it was an honor to him it was his own mr lockwood's good fortune to be entrusted with the direction of these works and in that capacity he might tell them that mr Salt gave him instructions upon all occasions to study the health, comfort, and happiness of his people, expense in no case being a consideration. He desired him to give them plenty of space, plenty of fresh air, plenty of pure water. Would any man say that Mr. Salt deserted Bradford? He could only tell them that in the enormous contracts for his works, Mr. Salt always gave the preference to Bradford men, and the amount of these contracts executed in the town, was 250,000 pounds. Did they call that deserting Bradford? At one time there were no fewer than 3,000 men employed belonging to Bradford. Mr. Salt was always doing great good in other ways. Let them look at his beneficent acts." The other week he knew that he gave instructions to his solicitors to alienate a mass of property which cost eleven thousand pounds for the benefit of those around him. His motto might be written, Deeds, not words. Mr. Salt's unostentatious deeds of beneficence were not confined to persons connected with one church or denomination, but extended to all. He had known him, for example, to go to a clergyman of the Church of England in feeble health with a handful of notes and say, There, take that. Every shilling of it is to be spent at the seaside. The resolution in support of Mr. Salt was enthusiastically passed, in acknowledging which he said he could reassure them that he felt they had placed him under very deep obligations by this expression of kindness and confidence. He had always been attached to the borough of Bradford, all he possessed was from it, and this mark of their great confidence would rivet him to it more closely. If he were sent to Parliament, he hoped that he should remain firm to the principles which he had ever professed. The following letter from General Thompson was sent to the chairman of mister Salt's committee. Eliot Vale, Blackheath, ninth April, eighteen fifty nine my dear sir tell mr salt that my success at the last election was entirely owing to his leaving the field open and if he will come out for the ballot which he will see is essential to enabling me to do it without rebuke from my friends and supporters i will do the same for him on the present occasion and consider that the appearance of a man of his eminence in support of the great question of the day is doing much more for the popular cause than could result from any effort of my own. Yours truly, Peronette Thompson. From the speeches delivered on this eventual occasion, both by Mr. Salt and his friends, it will be seen what were his political convictions. At that time considerable anxiety prevailed in some quarters, lest the lowering of the franchise would admit the working classes in such large numbers that it would seriously affect the British Constitution. It was, therefore, all the more assuring to those who entertained such fears to find a large employer like Mr. Salt so heartily advocating the measure. But perhaps his political views could not have been more clearly put than in the following comprehensive address. To the electors and non-electors. Gentlemen having been invited by a large meeting of electors, convened under the auspices of the Reform Registration Society, I have consented to ask at your hands the honor of representing your important borough in the ensuing Parliament. A life spent in the trade of the district, and the humble part I have taken in all our local movements, will, I trust, be accepted as a guarantee of my acquaintance with your interests and an earnest Of my desire to promote them my political principles are well known to all of you and even those who in some respects differ from them will i hope do me the justice to admit that they have been as consistent as they have been sincere for peace reform and economy i have worked with you for more than thirty years and these great objects i am not now likely to desert to the question which lord Derby has put to the country I trust the answer will be clear and decisive, and that the representation may be settled, so that a happy and united people at home may strengthen our government in seeking to preserve peace abroad. The issue of the impending election is, I take it, reform or no reform, advancement or retrogression. I am, and always have been, for reform and i believe the advancement of the country is indissolubly connected with that principle when i speak of reform i mean an extension of the suffrage to the industrial classes of the community the lowering of occupational franchise in counties by which many intelligent men now excluded may be introduced into the electoral body the adoption of the ballot, as the only feasible method yet proposed for ensuring freedom of election, and such a redistribution of seats, as shall destroy nomination boroughs, and to confer the franchise upon large and important communities. A reform bill embodying these principles, I believe the country is prepared to carry, and less than that I hope it will not accept. Believing that these views are held by a large majority of the electors of Bradford, I am encouraged to offer myself as a candidate. I will only add that, as no personal feelings were allowed to create division in our last election, so I trust that this important crisis our union will ensure success, and should you place me in so honorable and responsible a post, my best efforts will be devoted to... "'to fulfill its obligations to your entire satisfaction. "'I have the honor to be, "'Gentlemen, your obliged and obedient servant.'" Bradford, 9th April, 1859, Titus Salt. In reference to the Ten Hours Bill, which restricted the hours of labor in manufactories, Mr. Salt said he would not interfere with that measure, which had already passed into law. He was quite satisfied with its beneficial operations he rejoiced to say that he had always been an advocate for it in fact for nearly twelve months before that enactment came into force he had adopted it in his own case by reducing the hours of his workpeople with regard to the taxes on knowledge he had always approved of mr milner gibson's efforts to obtain the repeal of those taxes with regard to the grant of maynooth he was opposed to all grants for religious purposes but he would not single out any one in particular for his opposition such was the political creed which mr salt avowed in view of the day of election when the nomination of candidates took place which was then conducted in public mr wickham and mr salt had the show of hands and at the declaration of the poll they were both returned as the members for the borough when he reached home on the same evening the whole neighbourhood turned out to meet him the horses were taken from his carriage which was drawn by the people while the ringing of bells and enthusiastic cheers of the crowd testified to their joy at the successful issue of the contest mr salt had now reached a position of honour in the community that he little dreamed of when as a youth he came into its midst bradford had no higher post To which it could raise him. And let it not be forgotten that whether we contemplate his marvelous career in its commercial, municipal, or political relations, it was by dint of his own manly efforts that he had succeeded. And this fact places him on a pinnacle before the eyes of every young man, not merely as an object to be admired, but an example to be followed. In the autumn of the same year, The annual congress of the british association for the promotion of social science was held at bradford under the presidency of the earl of shaftesbury among many illustrious men gathered together on that occasion the late lord brougham occupied a prominent place and delivered the annual address in which he took a comprehensive view of many leading social questions of the day not the least interesting part of this annual congress Wherever it is held is the hospitality shown to its members, but on this occasion it was exhibited on that scale of unbounded liberality for which Bradford is famous. Among the sights of the town and neighbourhood that visitors were eager to see was, of course, Saltaire, to which they were specially invited, and were conducted over the establishment by Mr. Salt himself among the visitors was the venerable lord brougham and other savants including a party of rising barristers when the highest floor in the building was reached lord brougham sat down to rest himself upon a large woolsack pointing to his seat and turning to one of the barristers he facetiously remarked this is where you would like to be Another meeting, of an ecclesiastical kind, took place at Bradford prior to this, and in which Mr. Salt was deeply interested, viz. the annual assembly of the Congregational Union of England and Wales. The late Reverend Dr. Harris was chairman on that occasion, and among those who were present may be mentioned the reverends John Angle James, Dr. Halley, Dr. George Smith, Walter Scott, and Jonathan Glyde. Mr. Frank, afterwards sir francis Crosley presided at the public meeting and mr salt at the public breakfast in the autumn of eighteen seventy six the same assembly met in bradford but alas what changes had occurred during the interval all those honoured men had passed away except the last who was then so feeble in health that a resolution was cordially carried expressive of the sympathy of the congregational body with him in his affliction, their grateful acknowledgments of the services he had rendered to philanthropy and religion, also their earnest prayers that he might be graciously supported to the end of life. The end was not then far off. End of chapter 12